0: three two one the history with jackson podcast hello and welcome back to the history with jackson podcast i am of course your host jackson and in today's episode we are speaking to brian h ty otherwise known as the suit historian all about his approach to exposing hidden histories his approach to content creation but also some of the difficulty he faced with creating content and Of this nature and posting it on social media. It's a fascinating conversation with Brian, and it was great to hear his perspective on how this kind of content has gone down with different groups of people. Now, if you enjoyed this episode or any of the other episodes that we create here at History of Jackson, please do consider heading to the Buy Me a Coffee profile in the description below, or subscribing to History of Jackson Plus on Apple Podcasts. We appreciate all the support we've had recently, and without further ado i'll leave us with brian so hello and welcome back to the history with jackson podcast Today, we're talking to historian and historical content creator brian h ty otherwise known as the suit historian how are you doing
1: hi how are you
0: i'm doing very i'm really excited to have you on the podcast and talk about your work as a as a historian
1: yeah i'm really excited to uh Kind of look at you know uh, how it feels like to make videos about history in I think a, a content sphere that doesn't really have too much history. I think a lot of it is like uh, like a uh, sort of vibey stuff and lots of like, you know, like creating educational content in a, in a in a realm that's like so full with like uh, well I call it brain rotting, right? You know you scroll on Instagram and you know it's just, it's just making your brain rot. You know adding like educational content in that brain rot. I think that's that's a that's a big challenge that a lot of uh, edu- edu- like not just history but like even like science educators uh, have to deal with is sometimes like uh, history content is not as um, stimulating as you know all the other content so like trying to like uh, put yourself into that and you know manage to make it entertaining I think that's that's a big challenge that a lot of historians have to make uh, these days.
0: Yeah, no, I t- I totally agree. You yeah, know, when you're coming across videos on tiktok that either have like gta or subway surfers underneath it's sometimes quite hard to to compete with Mm. the content but i I, I want to kind of look at where this started for you really because history is from all the conversations i've had loads of different historians it seems to be quite Mm. a personal subject so what got you interested in in history
1: so I think the very, very beginning, I remember I was seated in my class uh, in university and was a class about Latin America. And I remember like before, like for me, history was just like, oh, you know, like the Greeks, the, the Romans. But I, I remember I was sitting in my classroom in university and started talking about like, it's called Operation Condor, this like global overthrow of Latin America, where they, they basically like controlled the entire country. They killed thousands of people. Um, and, you know, then I was like, oh, my God, like, you know, that's that that's history. It's like, it's like, you know, so much injustice and you don't even know about it. And the thing is, like, this information was the the whole time was, was just available on the Internet, but I just never knew about it. And the more I dug into it, you know, the more of these types of injustices that became available, you know, you're just like, oh, my God and that's where i realized you know like you know you got to sh- tell someone about it and you know that's kind of how it started
0: that's a great story about how you got into it because there's so many different stories like that mm-hmm. um, and it it kind of relates to that old cliche history is written by the victors and you end up losing <laughs> yeah. those those stories so yeah. is that is that the inspiration for uh, your your desire to create history educational content and 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 be the suit historian
1: well in the very beginning i was making the same like what i was talking about like the brain rot content which is like not very s- sought out content it's just you know you just film yourself and you're doing more random stuff and at some point i started making like kind of historical content it was like it's like brain rot historical content it was like uh like a oh uh, imagine i was genghis khan and i would like dance on the great wall of china like really dumb stuff like that, but then after I discovered uh, like Operation Condor and I searched more into it, then I dug into something called the structural adjustment plans of the United States on Africa, and I posted a video about it. It was like um, I, I don't remember the format. I, I think I filmed myself and I was like, "Oh, you research why Africa is so poor," and then it just cuts to like like all, all the different like uh, plans that was that was put in Africa, all the like the neo colonization place in africa and then i talked about it and people were like oh my god you know that's kind of messed up And then it kind of like blew from there you know like it's not just africa it's like asia it's like and then you go even deeper in the past and like oh you know there's other this stuff there's like an ethical experiments on human beings um there's times where people went into a feeble-minded people's house well because they call them feeble-minded and they would feed them like radioactive stuff it's called the quaker oat studies right where, where they experimented on children who had mental disabilities and they fed them Quaker oats. Uh, well, they fed them radioactive oatmeal, uh, as part of their experiment. And, like these types of stuff, you know, like we all know what is Quaker Oats, but we don't know, you know, that they did something like that in back in the nineteen fifties, right?
0: I think it's all I always think it's very interesting, these these little small bits of fascinating but bad history yeah. that we don't talk about so often. And and they're very hard. They're hardly written about in a lot of Mm. a lot of things. And why do you think it's important to to bring and shed light on them?
1: Well, I think if you look at history as only positive, like oh, you know, we won World War Two. Oh, we're the best. America, number one. You know, then I think it's a little bit flawed. And the goal is not to say, oh, you know, U.S. is, is is the worst country. Not to think that U.S. is the is the worst country or is the best country is to think like, Hey, you know, there's a balanced view, you know, there's like, there's good stuff we've done. We liberated Europe from the Nazis, but we've also like tortured people for the sake of freedom. Right. And there's a, there's, it's a two sided coin that we have to look at, you know, and if you want to look at our modern times and you just look, if you just have a one sided view, like you're not going to be able to really understand the world you're in. I think it's, you have to look at the good and the bad side to really have this like global understanding of how things has worked for thousands of years.
0: I, I like the the holistic global approach to that uh, because I think in a lot of Western histories mm-hmm. we tend to have a very Western-centric mm-hmm. perspective on history. You know, America's done this and the UK's done this. Occasionally it's France and Germany have done this, but there's there's a very little popular decentralisation away from that narrative.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But when you're discussing history that criticises um, or highlights the, the bad actions of Western players like the UK and, and the US, how, how has the response been towards that? Because there's definitely been a, a popular drive to kind of ignore that aspect of Western history in recent years?
1: Well, I think it's, well, the response is always very positive. But I think the response is very negative when I talk about bad stuff that traditionally bad countries have done. For example, Russia. Whenever I talk about, you know, things that the Soviet Union has done very wrong, there's going to be like lots of like very pro-Russians that are like, oh, you know, I'm going to kill you, I'm going to find you. You know, versus when I do about like the U.S., like they're like, oh, my God, I didn't know about it. You know, like they're more more open about learning bad stuff about their country. But when a country has been always portrayed as bad by the West and I add more to it, this kind of causes like more people to be angry. Like one of the most fierce supporters I've ever had is the Saddam Hussein supporters. Uh, I talked about um, Iraqi biological weapons before the 2003 Iraq invasion. Um, and I, ha- I had like thousands of death threats in Arabic at the Google translated. Um, and like, you no, know, like when, when you have a country that's traditionally uh, portrayed as evil and then you portray it more as evil then people are like, Oh my God, this guy is a uh, Western propaganda. Uh, like I get more criticism when I criticize like, like traditionally evil, like countries who are portrayed as evil or the opposite. If I say something positive about a country that tradition portrayed as evil, then the same thing happens. Like if if I said something good that Russia has done, oh now I'm like a Russia propagandist, or you know like these kind of stuff. But it's more about like these, I guess, more controversial countries that I would get more hate for than talking about you know like U.S. bad stuff or uh, Canada bad stuff. People like oh you know, it's okay. It's more accepted because I guess they're less oppressed. I guess. Uh, versus people who always had like the media on their back and saying you know bad stuff about their country
0: I've never personally experienced that kind of literal response to my content Um, and I can't I can't ever imagine receiving a message like that how do you deal with that I think this this probably goes away from you being the suit historian to you being Brian how do how do you Deal with that personally because that's quite a big, big thing.
1: Uh, well, I, I don't know. Um, I, I'm defended myself. I have stuff I, like I, I have like a neighborhood that's kind of, kind of safe. I, I know my neighbors. Um, I don't know. Uh, I, I don't really take them as serious uh, because I I don't know. It, like it doesn't. I don't. I don't know. It's like I don't know. Um, I think it hasn't gotten to the point where I feel threatened for my life. Like, it kind of sounds like they're just angry and not just, like, threatening to kill me. Like, if they sent my address and then they're like, oh, I'm going to kill you, I'm going to come, And that, yeah, I'd be scared. But if it's just a message like, oh, I'm going to kill you, like, okay, you know, like, that's just words. But if they're like, oh, they, they sent my address, my postal code, they send a picture of me at the supermarket, and, and they have, like, a sniper on my head, then I'd be like, okay, you know, <laughs> now I'm kind of scared. But if it's just like, oh, I'm going to kill you, you know then, you know, it's like at some point, you know, you just got to like, okay, you no know, it's, it's just, he doesn't know where I live. uh So, you know, you just leave it at, at that. If you overthink about it, then, you know, it just gets to your head and you're just depressed and you get scared. And then, you know, at, at the end, it's just text on a screen and there's no real threat there yet.
0: I think that's a really strong and a nice way of looking at that. Um, yeah, because most of these people sending that are nowhere, nowhere close to you anyway they're just it's just a, uh, i don't agree with it at all anyway shape or form but it's yeah it's just absolutely bizarre because i've never received anything like that like i couldn't imagine receiving anything like that but you you also so you create videos for tiktok and you've also done some for youtube you know what, what's the how do you find the difference between creating historical content for tiktok and, and historical content for youtube because they're very different platforms
1: well, the thing with YouTube, I feel, well, I have a theory about like this whole content creation thing. is, well, I'm kind of looking at, like, I think now it's going to be a new era for like new YouTubers, because I've seen recently, like so many YouTubers have been, you know, leaving the platform, all the big YouTubers, uh, like PewDiePie, he hasn't been posting that much. There has been a um, MatPat from The Game Theorist. There's just been so many like uh, beloved YouTubers that have left the platform. And now the YouTubers that are, are that are like, I guess, giving birth on YouTube are like people who are on TikTok, right? And I feel it's just like this transfer from TikTok to YouTube. And I feel like the next generation of like uh, YouTubers is going to be people who used to do TikTok or who used to do uh, Instagram, and who switch to like from short form to long form. And I think that the the, the difference. Is on YouTube, you have to be much more comfortable with being yourself, because on TikTok, you know, people can't really see how you're feeling. Like you, you can be very, very uh, ingenuine. But if there's like this music that's playing, you know, it doesn't really matter. You can be like like a, like a really bad person in real life, but yeah, you have this like really cute, nice music. People are like, oh my god, this guy is the is the best. He's really nice. But when you're alone in front of the camera, you have to talk about something. Then now you can't really hide behind the music right and now you can see who that person is you know if um if you're a person who just wants views who just doesn't really care about the content itself then at the end you know people are gonna see it like okay you know i'm not I, i'm not gonna watch this guy so i think it's that is um it's, it's like a it's like a filtering system i guess it's like you no know, you can't hide behind the, all the viral aud- audios anymore. And you gotta create like you know, quality content and not just you know like making videos in five seconds. And it's a big time commitment sometimes making a YouTube video, editing, filming, researching, especially if, if you're making like history videos, like there's there's like loads of research you have to do to even be able to explain it, right? You have to understand the subject very deeply to explain it to people to, so that it's simple. If you research a topic in history and you don't understand it, when you explain it on YouTube it's going to sound very weird. Like people are not going to understand what is the topic about. You know, you're not going to seem very versed about it. You're not going to be able to explain it. You're going to talk and people are like, oh, you know, what is this guy talking about? I don't understand. And they're going to search it on like Wikipedia themselves. <laughs> and then it's going to be no point of watching videos. So there's like lots of research. It's not, you have to, you have to go a Google Scholar. You have to read lots of articles. You have to uh, even read some a couple of pages of a book to understand the topic. And then you can talk about it. And, you know, that gets, you know, that's a challenge versus, you know, just TikTok. You know, you put some text like, oh, you know, this happened in 1956. Then it's, it's it's already finished. No need to have any research. But now it's like, you know, if you want to make long long form, yeah, it has to be well prepared. And you have to, you know, uh, be comfortable with yourself. I think it's a big challenge uh, for me and I think for a lot of other creators as well.
0: Yeah, having, having done both, I, I certainly agree with that with the TikTok stuff. It can be very quick, you know, yeah. academic article or two, bish, bash, bosh, the age of 15, 30 seconds, sorted. Exactly. Um, but I find the work in a long-form one more akin to writing uh, an article, a history article, and I think that's another thing that's kind of underrated within the history mm-hmm. content creation is, is you are essentially writing if you are if you are writing long form content, so what what difficulties have you find do you find in in researching history and some of the history that you you look at because some of it can be quite critical of Western powers as we've already touched upon, but also a lot of these Western powers and Eastern powers have quite strong censorship laws uh, around certain documents.
1: Yeah, so uh, I'll talk about the U.S. and I'll talk about China so the biggest problem with us documents is that there's a couple of topics that you know they only released a declassified uh documents but there hasn't been anyone explaining it so that causes a lot of work because there's there's no summary of it so one of one example is called operation bellwether one it's a us experiment to use mosquitoes as a biological weapon now no one has read like when i went there's no wikipedia page on it and i was like oh I have to read a hundred pages. I have, to, I have to read it. I have to understand it. Then, you know, like, and it's very, like, these, like, declassified documents. It's government documents. It's not written in a very, like, entertaining way. And I was like, oh, I have to read this. But it was worth it at the end. I think I read 10 pages, at least to understand it. I, I don't have to read everything. Um, but still, I think still lots of work. Uh, for China, well, the problem is that I have a couple of family members in China. So there's there's, like, things I would like to talk about. But, you know, it's like, there's, there's a level of things you can't talk about. Because if you, go, like, there, there's things I know that if I talked about, you know, I don't know what, like, the government would do to my family, right? Um, so there's, like, that limit as well. Is like, um, like, for some, for some countries, there's, like, real consequences in just talking about things. Uh, and that can be dangerous as well.
0: I can, I can, I can certainly see those, those difficulties. Those government documents are... Having worked with them for, for my research as well, they're so incredibly dry and boring. But you know you need to read it to in order to make the point that you want to make. Uh, and then, then having done a lot of research in my own work on on China and and uh, and Xi, the difficulty of accessing documents um, is is incredibly difficult for any anyone based in the West. Uh, but also being mindful of the people you work around as well is is a difficult thing to do. Um so yeah, I think best leave G at that point there. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: Um but you've you've also written a book uh yeah. relating to your content. What what's this book about?
1: Well, this book emerged when someone asked me, you know, like where can I read all these like like small facts? about, you know, like all these Western powers, Eastern powers, like how how do you find all this information? And this book is literally that, is this finding all these information that, you know, it's very difficult to find and then just put them all together so you can learn it all at once. Because I think right now the problem with information is that there's too much information. And the best way to hide information is to have so much information that you can't find anything anymore and that's what's happening you know people can't learn about things because there's just too much information and this book is just like like it took a lot lots of digging like years of work of digging all this information and putting them into into a, a book and researching deeply about them and try to summarize them in one page which is just like very hard because there's entire books written on one of these sub subjects right but like getting all of that into a book it's like a, like i guess it's like a huge encyclopedia of knowledge that you wouldn't be able to find normally and just like compiling them into a book. And I like, I guess it's like my way of, you know, like, w- like my goal is after you read it, like you're supposed to have like a better understanding of the world and like a worldview that's totally different from how you started. And it's a big goal, but you know, it's, it's kind of, it's kind of like, yeah, but I think it's possible to, you know, have at least that kind of change on someone's mind after reading
0: now having having read read your book i have read your book and i really really enjoyed it and i could see that challenge of trying to still pages and pages and pages of knowledge into one page it's an incredible skill but also taking that knowledge and doing that does make it more accessible because one of the things that i'm i'm constantly asked by people who want to get into history or want to learn to his, uh, learn history is you know where do i start and it's that that one simple comment, "Where do I start?" You're like, "Well, you know if you start on an academic journal, you you can't understand the first page because of all the the big, long words and academic jargon. Uh, and then if you start with some books, the books are quite intimidating, so it's a it's a great place to start with smaller, smaller pages to get people interested. What's the response been like to that book then?
1: Oh, it's been very positive. The problem now is that I don't have like a, like a whole review system because I'm working on, but I'm working on putting it on a physical book. Um, And I think that way I'll have like a more, uh, more responses, but I've had, I think maybe like 20 responses. They've all been positive. Uh, But I think the biggest criticism is not enough information, but again, it's difficult to like add, like to take stuff. Like I know, but I couldn't put it because it it just, just, I just, I just ran out of space. Uh, but the good thing is the physical book, I, I added like lots of more information. Uh, so that's a good thing. Uh, so, But I'm still working on it. So it's like almost like rewriting the entire book because I added maybe like twice the amount of information. Um, so yeah. So yeah. So I think the response now is in positive, but I think there's still some some work to be done, still adding some more information. Um, and I, I think afterwards was more information. And I also removed some pages that I thought was kind of, I, oh, yeah, actually, one, one, one problem was that it was too American-centric. There was too many facts about the, the United States so, because there's, like, lots of, like, <laughs> stuff about the, the United States. Um, so I, I removed, like, lots of things about the United States, like the, the things the thing that are not too relevant or repetitive, and I added more stuff about the rest of the world. So it's, like, more uh, more on a global scale than, you know, just, like, U.S.
0: I, th- I think that's a, that's a really nice way to to change and update and respond to to people. I think that's also another benefit of, of writing a book in a non-traditional way, that you are able to have a little bit more editorial control over it. Mm-hmm. Um, and moving away from the US, I think it's quite difficult to not include that much the US uh, when you when you look at your book and look at the content you mm-hmm. created. Um, now, in terms of you know writing the book, uh, we've touched on some of the, the difficulties with um, difficulties with accessing some of the documents what were some of the most some of the pieces of information that pained you the most to not put into mm. the book
1: well i think that the most the thing that pained me the most was not talking about haiti so i actually went to haiti back there and before i went i thought you know i was listening to a little bit about what the west had to say about haiti you know oh they're poor because you know uh, well because they're black people or they're poor because they're corrupt and all that, you know, like very racist jargon and researching the history about it, you see that the poverty was not actually, not actually caused by Haitians, but caused by colonization by the French. You know, they, After they liberated Haiti in 1804, they added this huge debt, you know, I think, uh, I think maybe $10 for each slave that was liberated and they paid it until the 1990s. Millions and millions of dollars that they dragged from Haiti, that was already a poor country, and they gave it all to France. And you know, then you just end up with a free country that you know that has all its resources dragged from it, because they had to like cut all the trees to you know make money, and then that money they would give it to France. Like they had no money to invest in themselves. They gave all their money to France, so they basically end up with a country with you know no money. And you know, then people are like oh, you know, they're poor not because of France. They're poor because you know. Oh, they're, they're, they're corrupt. They're, they're bad people. They're violent, etc. And these are all like very like imperial jargon uh, used during c- c- colonization to you know blame you know Africans. Uh, even through the, the the problem was not Africans, but you know the huge debt imposed on Haiti. So yeah, think about it. I'll I'll, I'll have to add it <laughs> in my physical book for sure.
0: No, you'll certainly have to add that because that was that was really fascinating hearing that story about about Haiti and, and, and addressing those misconceptions that people have. I think that's, it seems like it's an important part of, of your work addressing, making history accessible, but also addressing some misconceptions.
1: Mm-hmm. And what makes this really personal is I have, well, I'm also a teacher and I have a friend who's also a teacher. He's about 80 years old. And for the past like 25 years, he owns an orphanage in Haiti, He donates about like 50% of his revenue to this orphanage to educate children. Uh, I went to Haiti myself. Uh, we helped orphans. Well, like when I think about it, like this whole like humanitarian thing was kind of. But that, that's that's a different story. But uh, just looking at how, how the place is it's like it's like an inhumane place to live in. You know, like like the houses like it's not even a house. It's like two pieces of wood and a metal roof. You know, it's like it's it's like it's a whole different view. You know, like to, like if you think about like poverty here uh, in the U.S. or in Canada. It's like, oh, you know, they have a house, but you know, it's it's a, it's a slum. But over there, it's like you know, like there's like there's no middle class. It's just everyone is poor, and there's like a couple of rich people on the mountain, and everyone else is just fighting on the streets. There's blood. There's people who collapse on the floor. There's like huge like mansions, and there's walls with spikes on it, and you see the, on the walls is just blood. Because people are trying to climb to get some food, and then their hands are entering the spike, and there is just blood everywhere. Like it's 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 violent, and it's it's a really cruel place, and it's very sad to look at. Um, and when you understand the history of it, you understand that you know, like this this was caused. Like a country is not supposed to be this poor, but when you drag all of its waste resources, like that's what turns this country into chaos. Is you know, just France just extracted everything from it and left the people to die there. And that's like very sad truth about Haiti. And it's very personal because I've seen it myself.
0: Thank thank you for, for sharing that. I think that's a, one of the tough things about being a historian is sometimes the personal stories are are really quite positive and they and they drive you as well. But also those those stories that affect you personally and affect the way you approach history. Uh, and the stories that you want to tell can be as equally as powerful. So thank you for sharing that as well. Because particularly here in the UK, we we know about Haiti, but it's not one of those things that's majorly on the 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 political or news cycle because there's so many other things that are probably closer to home. Which is a which is a real shame that we don't touch on them there. But you also mentioned there that you're a teacher, um, so. Having a similar job to you, um, hi to my students who are listening um, <laughs> there's, there's, all, there's always that difficulty of being a public figure in a way, mm-hmm. but also having to maintain that you're a teacher how do you How do you deal with that because I'd be really interested to hear that
1: Well, one of the problems is that like I've just well I've just so many followers that sometimes like TikTok sends my videos to my students. And I remember in one of my classes, you know, like I, I never told my, my students about me being a TikToker or, or anything, but just one day, you know, at night, the kid was watching TikTok and just sees me. And, oh my God, it's my teacher. And then somehow the entire school the next day, you know, it just spread like wildfire and everyone knew about it. And they're like, oh my God. And then people were asking me for my autograph. And there was one kid who always did like bad stuff so I can write him up. And then you're like, oh, my God, I got your signature. <laughs> and then he would go to detention. And I was like, okay, <laughs> oh, sure. So, but, yeah. Uh, but the good thing is that, you know, I think history is still a very respectable topic. It's not like TikTok are like, oh, I take off my shirt off and I'm just like dancing naked. You know, that would be like very embarrassing. And I probably would have lost my job, you know. But because I'm a history teacher in real life and I teach history on social media, my administration was like, oh, yeah, it's not that's fine just but if, if it was like you know because like uh, like i could have been like a like a search trapper right or like it, it just mean like shirtless and i'm just like dancing to like all the viral sounds you know i think i think that i would have lost my job or i would have, uh, at least i would have lost lots of credibility with my students but you know it's, it's still like if you just make history videos it's, it's possible to defend yourself like oh you know like oh I, I watched a video and i'm like oh you know what did you learn like oh i don't i don't know <laughs> <laughs> like, okay, watch my video. Tell me what you learn about history. And then they're like, oh, okay, okay. And we still have that like respectability because it's still like an academic field, and it's not just like well, even like with history, there's brain rot, brain rot content. Like just people who exaggerate history so much that just to get views. Like oh, you know, I don't know. Nineteen fifty-three, the United States government spied on everyone, blah blah. blah. And it's like just super exaggerated, and there is like lots of like flashes, and there is like this like scary pictures of like the UN, United States government, and like oh my god! And it's like you research it, and it's like a lot more tame. So I think like problem with history, I guess, is sometimes history is not that entertaining. Sometimes it's just boring. Like oh, the Carolingian Revolution. Okay, you know, it's like boring, but you know you have to find, something, find ways to make it interesting. Yet, not going to the ways of exaggerating too much history to make it interesting. You gotta find this balance. Sometimes, sadly, with history, there are stories that are just not worse, uh, that are just not entertaining enough to put on social media. Like, oh, uh, the births of the Carolingian Revolution. Like, it could be interesting, but people only listen to this stuff for school, but they wouldn't listen to it on their free time. Like, I, I don't know anyone, maybe like someone who's really, really passionate about history. But like for the average, like the average person, like watching a whole, like two hour documentary on the Carolingian revolution, you know, they, they'd like, no, I'm not going to watch that. Right. So I think, yeah, there's, there's that balance, like finding a good story about history, yet not exaggerating and not going into like too like academic stuff. Like that's like, like you have to find, you have to extract these stuff. And when you get them interested in history, like in that interesting part, then they'd be interested on the context of it. But if it's just like, oh, I'm just gonna explain the context, then they're like, oh, I don't really care. But if you get the interesting stuff, then you surround it with context. Then as a package, people like it. But if it's, it's kind of like Amazon package, right? You find that you find an interesting thing about history, and the the packaging is like the context. There's like you know, it could be a I don't know. A serial killer during the Carolingian Revolution. Well, I don't, I don't know if it exists, but you know, then you could explain what is the Carolingian Revolution, and then go into that that interesting part about the serial killer. And then people are like, oh my god, you know, then they'd learn about the Carolingian Revolution, and they'd be interested about it. Right? It has to be packaged in a way that's interesting, and you can't just make oh Carolingian Revolution, and then you know, kind of mention the serial killer. You gotta have that as a focus. Like what people want is inside the, the package. But you also need the packages. Yeah, you can't have it just like like this, right? You no, know, you can't just talk about it. You have to package it in a wider historical context. And when you give it like that, people really like it.
0: I like how you've you've taken that way of teaching history in the classroom because often we have incredibly dry, and boring topics. Like we've got a GCSE module over here called um, the History of Medicine, and it I I personally don't like it. I think it's so dry. But when you find the little bits within that module and you make them interesting, yeah. the kids who don't like social history or the kids who don't like political history are suddenly drawn in and they want to learn it a lot more. Um, so I, I really like that approach to, to teaching and, and discussing history. Yeah. And also, you know, those kids who ask for autographs or hello, <laughs> sir, uh, on your comments, it's, it is something that may stay actually because it does show yeah. that they're engaging in your content and they actually yeah, like it. Like it. So it's, mm-hmm. it's always a it's always good feeling that. Now, exactly. I have a final fun question for you, as we do yeah. for all guests here mm-hmm. on the History of Jackson podcast. We've spoken about so many different areas that you've researched. Mm-hmm. Which has been your favorite, absolute favorite to, to research and why?
1: Um, I think really my favorite one is called the Pterodome experiment. So this experiment actually goes into like lots of things I've talked about. And basically, these companies went into private prisons and experimented on prisoners to test out their products. So one of the biggest uh, proponents is Monsanto Corporation. They were the one who produced Agent Orange in Vietnam. And they basically went into a prison in Illinois. They set up this fake Vietnamese jungle. They, they put this prisoner inside, and they basically gassed them with Agent Orange and saw its effects Um, and it's not just that, uh, Johnson and Johnson, I think today produces baby powder and all that they went there and they basically put like, they burn inmates with fire and then they would put the the lotion to see its effects. And you know, like all these companies were just like prisons were just this private Guinea pig experiment. And they, they would just torture people there and just test their products there and absolutely no repercussions. Uh, and people don't even know about it and they're like oh my god Johnson Johnson best company you know or even um, United Fruits Company like oversaw an entire c- country in Guatemala right to uh, to sell more bananas so lots of these things uh, like companies um, doing messed up stuff and especially companies that, that still exist today and you go at the supermarket and you look at it like oh okay <laughs> I know that company
0: <laughs> yeah they're definitely actions that if either me or or you had done, uh, we'd probably end up in prison ourselves. So it it is absolutely bizarre to hear those stories, but thank you very much because they are. I'm going to go away and read even more about them. I think that's the lovely thing about the content that you do. Um, You just end up reading and reading and reading and you go, wow, I never knew about that. Now, obviously, having Mm -hmm. listened to this episode that we've just done, people listening are going to want to go away and, and and listen to you learn more about the content you create where can they where can they find you and interact with you online
1: uh they can find me at the suit historian on all platforms tiktok instagram youtube i think i tried a spotify thing but i don't i don't think it's it's up <laughs> but uh yeah so uh, these three platforms i'm on three platforms and i talk about history
0: and then how can they grab a copy of your book as well to get that accessible history?
1: Oh, yeah. So I think it's I think it's still in my bio on Instagram. And just press it and it sends you to the link. And it's that easy.
0: Well, I, I thoroughly recommend going to, to follow you on these platforms. I've loved engaging with your content and, and learning more about it. Uh, and also recommend going to grab a copy of your book as well because your book is a really great way to learn about these these topics yeah, and others exactly. as well so thank you very much for coming on
1: excellent thank you
0: so that was brian aka the suit historian discussing all the different aspects of hidden history that he's researched and brought to us through his social media and his brand new book it was also interesting to hear his take on historical content creation and different responses from different supporters of different groups so as he mentioned there the supporters of saddam hussein being quite quite horrible to him. But it's interesting to see that, that aspect reach across to different platforms that we don't necessarily think of it reaching. Now, if you enjoyed this episode or any of the other episodes or content that we create here at History Jackson, please do consider heading to the Buy Me A Coffee profile in the description below or subscribing to History Jackson Plus on Apple Podcasts to support us. Next week, we've got another awesome episode lined up. I know you're going to enjoy it. We are creating some awesome episodes that bring some awesome history and and perspectives to you and I really hope that you're enjoying them all. Now until next week, I'll see you later.